Hi, I'm Tred Hulse, and welcome to Episode 9 of The Treadcast, a podcast about success, the path, the maintenance, and handling the bumps on that path. My guest this episode is Brian Mandler, who went from working with some of the biggest record and digital companies in the world to become the co-founder of The Network Effect, a company that works in short-form video, digital branding, influencer marketing, and working with creator advocates. Now, I'm not exactly all sure what that means, but I know Brian will bring us up to speed, share some great stories, and also how he ruined one little old lady in Ireland's day. Here's our conversation. Brian, thank you for the time. My pleasure. All right, so let's skip to the end as we like to do. Uh, right, What are you up to right now? You're the co-founder of The Network Effect. Now, let people like myself or you two like, you don't man on, you know, as far as when it comes to technology and it comes to YouTube and TikTok and everything, explain to people what The Network Effect is. So the way that we look at The Network Effect, we... Uh, see ourselves as a short form media company. So, you know, while that sounds lofty, the reason why we use those terms is because when it comes to anything short form, which to people that don't know exactly what that means, uh, short form content is 15 to 60 second vertical content. And that content today lives on platforms like TikTok, like Instagram with Instagram Reels, and like YouTube with YouTube Shorts. And now even with Snapchat with both spotlight and stories. And when it comes to short form, our company really um, involves themselves on all aspects of the ecosystem. So that's creators. So we uh, manage creators that are now seeing billions of views every month. We work directly with brands to build their overarching short form strategy, both to gain followers, to build engagement, and also to drive bottom line revenue. And then also we, now that we're five or six years in, we have built a network of creators in the hundreds, where while we don't manage, we work alongside them on not only our uh, brand campaigns, but we also advocate for them on behalf of the platforms that I mentioned to ensure that they can build their own businesses around the brands that they're building of themselves. Now, could you imagine, say, sitting back there 20 years ago working for, you know, Capital or working for Warner Brothers or Sony or whatever, could you see something like this, you know, back then? You know, while you can never predict what technologies are going to evolve, for me personally, I've always been enamored with how audiences and we'll call them celebrities or those that have built an audience or are building an audience interact and engage with one another. You know, if you look back 20 years ago, even sort of pre-MySpace, a recording artist would record a great song, would go on tour, and that was really the only way that you'd be able to interact with them. Maybe you could read an article or see them in a TV interview. But nowadays, everyone's sort of life is an open book through all of these different social media platforms and social media interactions. So, you know, for me, again, I, I really built my career around this idea of the artist building an audience through a bridge of technology. And now in my career, I'm now equally focused on that, called that creator or that artist, having the ability to build an actual business around what's funny they're now calling it in the in the NCAA NIL, right? Their mm -hmm. name, their image, and their likeness. In my world, it's called the creator economy. And you know, our company now is deep rooted in this idea that a creator that's creating great content, building a great audience can both drive direct revenue 
from the platforms that they're on and indirect revenue from the brands that they partner with. Brian Long-winded Mad- answer, but hopefully that makes sense. No, it's, no, it's a great answer. Brian Madler, my guest, co-founder of The Network Effect on the Treadcast. And so, Brian, 20 years ago or so, 23, I'm trying to figure it all out, Double, and you get out of college. What drove you to get into that industry? And you probably figured it out pretty pretty quickly because you're a fairly smart guy that it's kind of a snake pit you know the music industry the entertainment world as it is you know i come from the radio side of things can be a pretty tough industry what got you into it and what drove you to the the success that you had you know as a young kid i I grew up as an only child and sometimes in lieu of a babysitter my parents would just put me in front of the tv and that just came down to me watching MTV uh, probably 10, 15 hours a day. So, you know, what that's what what is what that has evolved into is not only a love of, but a true understanding of, of popular culture. And whether it's sports or whether it's TV or whether it's film or whether it's music, I, I, I do feel at this point that I really have my finger on the pulse of not only what is sort of budding in real time, but also some of the trends that are sort of moving forward in the future. Mm-hmm. So coming out of college, I actually interned at a few different entertainment companies while in college. And I knew deep down that I was going to find my way to the entertainment business. It was just a matter of to what degree and in what role. You know, I, I sent my resume to probably 500 <laughs> different companies, yep. Yep. you know, found my way to a few different interviews, got a job as an assistant at a record label in radio promotion. And it all sort of started from there. I'm really glad, though, that my career started in radio promotion because I really look at it as sort of the the nucleus inside of the record business or even the music business in general. You know, at the end of the day, if, when artists break, it's radio is still what I would argue outside of digital now at this point, one of the top drivers to quote unquote break an artist and to be part of that environment, you know, watching a song first be played in New York and then in LA and then in Chicago and then in Miami and then Albany or Vermont or wherever it may be to watch the artist career evolve as the song starts to spread you know, you're really sort of in the epicenter of how the record and music business sort of works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being on the fort, like as the New York rep, whenever the artist was within the territory, I was responsible for everything full stop. So you get to interact with marketing and sales and legal and PR and all those other aspects. So I, I don't I don't think that if you want to get a true education of how the music business works, I don't know if you can get that education if you don't work in radio promotion or if you don't work in radio or radio pro. What was that moment early on, though, in your career where you just, there was that aha moment that just sort of caught you, I can't believe I do this, or this is my job, or that just that one moment where you just sort of all kind of sank in, and you're like, wow, this is, yeah, this is it. Again, it sounds incredibly cliche, but working with artists while on the road is a pretty amazing experience. Being backstage like 30 seconds before the artist takes the stage, because before the show, you're working with them on like a very human level. As you know, I would you know oversee a lot of the meet and greets between the artist and those that uh, may have won radio contests or whatever it may be. But there's also that moment in time where 10, 15 minutes before the artist or the band is getting ready. And then there's that one minute before or even 30 seconds before when the lights go down and and everything is dark and then the lights go up and the artist takes the stage. And, you know, I was backstage before a Chili Pepper show, before a Lincoln Park show, before a Tom Petty show in that exact example. And you really do need to pinch yourself because, <laughs> you know, you're definitively in a place where most people are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really unique experience, right? You can see how, you know, it's almost 
it's a euphoria taking the stage in those kind of circumstances. I could really see you being backstage with, like, say, the Chili Peppers. And it was kind of like herding cats on Red Bull, like before, because the energy and everything. Because I've always been lucky enough to be backstage as well. But just that to feel that energy. And also, too, when you're on, when you can see or look out on stage or even be on stage, like I was lucky enough to be a couple of times, that energy is is palpable. You could almost, like, put it in a bowl. So to be there for that, it's got to be sometimes you're just like, wow. It's just something kind of so Yeah, cool. totally agree. And also you, you to somewhat put yourself in the artist's perspective and, you know, you can only imagine what that feeling feels like where there's, you know, 15, 20,000 people there to see you perform, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're taking their hard-earned paycheck and that's where they're putting it. And, you know, there is a bit of pressure on them, right, to deliver, but also I'm sure, to use the word again, uh, there, there must be a sense of euphoria that probably is difficult to define. Brian Mandler, co-founder of the Network Effect, joining me. Your favorite on-the-road moment. Do you have one? Really good question. With the Goo Goo Dolls, we we used to do a, a promotion where a couple of contest winners got to watch the entire show side stage in chairs so you know even though i was not a contest winner but i was with them on that experience it always resonated with me because you know i'm sure if you asked any of them what their most amazing music experience was or is it has to be that Mm -hmm. right like being able to not only watch a show but to watch a show from literally the side of the stage as the artist performs, that was pretty, that to me is pretty amazing. But also, you know, working at Warner Brothers Records during the time I worked there really afforded me the ability to work with some of the the most amazing artists of the last, call even 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. Madonna, the Chili Peppers, Metallica, Dire Straits, even Linkin Park as they grew from zero people recognizing them to one year later, they actually had FBI agents that were their uh, their bodyguards, retired FBI agents. <laughs> wow. uh, so, you know, again, you get to watch how yeah. artists evolve and, you know, having been able to work with artists like that was pretty amazing. But also... A lot of times you would take artists to radio as they performed some of their songs acoustically. So not only did you get to watch the artists that wrote the hits, play the hits, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. also play them right in front of you was pretty amazing. Yep. You know, I took uh, Jay-Z and some of the guys from Linkin Park to K-Rock to be on Howard Stern as the mashup craze Mm -hmm. started to sort of kick in. Same thing with Marilyn Manson. These are just, you know, experiences that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and, and, and to your point about acoustic stuff, a big believer in this and always have been, you can't hide behind an acoustic guitar. You either have it or you don't. So yeah. if you actually make it up to, to I'm going to go into the station, I'm going to pull up that guitar and I'm going to play, you need to know your stuff. And and you do, you hear things in a different way and experience things in a different way that's just so very cool. Now, moving forward a little bit, I left you in Los Angeles at Capitol Records, about five or six or so years later, we reconnect. You're, you've left LA, you're married, you got kids, you'd retired or something, or it, and it's just like, all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> what happened? But you were just sort of in your, that next phase of your, of your professional life. What was that like, though, where you are on the cutting edge of technology, where things are ever changing? And, you know, one thing that you could be working on now is fantastic, but six months, it could be MySpace. Right. So the big change for me was uh, when I went from working at, there's only three now major record companies in the world. And at one point in time in my career, I worked at all three of them, right? Mm -hmm. So when uh, I was at Capitol Records, I befriended now one of my my better friends in the world. But at the time, he was the CEO of a a venture capital funded startup called Sana. 
And at Capital, we we did a campaign using their technology, and I was really enamored with it. And fast forward during that time, we met in New York, and about 24 hours later, I joined their company as the head of business development. So by going from a major company into the startup sector, again, a little bit of a different world, but you know, for us, it was really about building new technologies specific to artists and their fans. Mm-hmm. So most people know of the company Say Now from the the phone number in Soldier Boys, Kiss Me Through the Phone, okay. which was 678-999-8212. So long story <laughs> short, at Say Now, we built social phone numbers for celebrities, artists, and brands. And the interesting point of that is Soldier Boys phone number actually became the most dialed phone number in the history of the United States. Wow. Um, more than Jenny, because most people ask me that. Yep. And more than Mike Jones. Right. Uh, so not only Soldier Boy, but we built these phone numbers for Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez and the Jonas Brothers, etc. And at the time of acquisition from Google, the uh, one of every three teenage girls in the country were dialing at least one of these phone numbers every day. Wow. So we were very successful very, very quickly. Right. And then um, I spent... Uh, just over seven years at Google, five years at Google and two years at YouTube. And so like now let me just to clarify this for everybody. So it wasn't like you came home. You have 55,000 new messages. Uh, no, but actually that <laughs> did happen in Ireland. Oh, because no. as the song started to break globally um, in Ireland, if you dialed that phone number, you'd actually get, you know, a little old lady from. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> so that was funny. Um, but um, like any technology, uh, there's nuances to yep. it. So. What looked and felt like a phone number when you dialed from your when you dialed from your phone, mm-hmm. it was our technology stack that lived on top of it. Okay. So if you dialed in from a mobile phone number, we would recognize your phone number, and in essence, you would be following or subscribing to Soldier Boy's number. But instead of like a unique handle on Instagram, following a unique handle on Instagram, it's it's more like your phone number following another phone number. Okay. And you know there were some artists that had millions of phone numbers that followed them. And then you'd have the ability to leave a unique voice message, meaning artist, to all of those people at the same time. Brian Mandler, co-founder of the Network Effect, joining me on the Treadcast. The question I have for you is, is that you've definitely changed paths and what, what was that drive? What drove you, you know, to, to because it, it can be very scary. You know, people have worked jobs for 25, 30 years and then either laid off or a, decide on a change. It's a frightening moment to do that. What what was that drive for you? What what made you do that and say, I'm, you know, I'm going in? You know what, for me, the, the company and the role come second. And it's, and again, cliche as can be, but it all comes down to democratization, which is um, at Google, that word was thrown out a lot, thrown, thrown out a lot. But what what drives me on the day to day is if nine people are are over here, I have to be over here, right? Mm-hmm. Like I could dabble into the other nine and get some feedback, but ultimately I need to be building product experiences and businesses that are just different than the norm. So in some cases you're an idiot, and in some <laughs> cases you're a genius. Right. But for me, it's all about sort of breaking the norm and quote unquote closing deals. Mm-hmm. Sort of like. Different things drive different people, but for me, it's all about the build and then sort of building from the ground up mm-hmm. as compared to just facilitating. So the network effect, you and your partner, your co- other co-founder, Brian Nelson, how did this come about? How does it turn into what it is now? Sure. Very good question. So Brian and I uh, were introduced to one another while I was at, uh, after Google and YouTube, I went to a startup called YouNow, which was the first 24-7 live streaming platform. And sort of in line with Twitch to some degree, but now you have 
Facebook Live and Instagram Live and and TikTok Live, etc. Mm-hmm. But at this time, it was really um, a unique sort of excuse me proposition. And Brian was quarterback in a pop band called The Catching, and we integrated The Catching onto You Now. And then you know Brian and I sort of have the same methodology around breaking glass. So um, if you fast forward a bit, while I was at You Now was when Musical.ly sort of started to rear its head. And a lot of the creators that we were working with at You Now, they looked at YouTube and Instagram and they said to themselves, way too crowded. We need to build a presence here, but we're not going to go all in because everyone's on there. Yeah. Like there's no really aspect of discovery. So these these sort of 2.0 creators, which some people know, some people don't, it's the likes of Lauren Gray, Jacob Sartorius, Baby Ariel. These are creators that have notoriously become famous on Musical.ly and TikTok. A lot of those creators were on You Now in it, in its early stage as not only a way to build audience, but the live stream, but also to make money. Both myself and Brian became enamored with Musical.ly and its sort of heartbeat and its traffic and engagement, astronomical on day one. Mm-hmm. So ever since the beta of that product launching, we have both been really laser focused on understanding this medium. And you know, as I said earlier, for me, it's all about strategic bets of where pop culture is gonna lean into. And I was convinced that for many reasons, short form content represented the future. And you know, six, almost seven years later, we have now built a, a full business around the around the business of short form. Brian, in your in your thought process, and you've seen it before, obviously in your musical background, and now today, what is the difference? You know, because you can you can hear a song back in the day. Okay, this is going to be a hit. This is going to be a smash, and it doesn't work out. And then a song you never expected just explodes. And now the same thing with content stuff, because all of a sudden things go viral on YouTube or whatever. What what is that? Mo- where where is that thin line? And you guys must do a lot of investigating in this, where you you think you've got something, but you're not sure. And then there's something else you think you may not have, but that ends up taking off like a rocket ship. How do you sort of ferret that out a little bit? Right. So good question. I would say in today's climate, what TikTok and these other short platforms, but primarily TikTok in this in this example have become is, and I talk in metaphors, is kind of like the microwave. So the beauty is, is that if you have a sound, is what it's called on TikTok, and it's not four minutes anymore, it's 15 seconds. And it's the right 15 seconds. But there is no better breathing ground today for Gen Z and early millennials than TikTok to know whether or not you have a quote-unquote hit. Mm -hmm. So now it used to be that radio would familiarize a song now TikTok familiarizes the sound first and then radio solidifies it. So we're seeing, you know, I could name 20 to 50 examples of how that has happened over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. And then these big creators that have a million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, 50 million followers, right? In essence, they become the Z100 Kiss FM, Kiss in Chicago, warming the sound up to their audience so that it's already familiar. Mm-hmm. My daughter's 11. She's the best A&R person in the, in the world because <laughs> she knows all these songs already, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes the record label's first and uses TikTok as the microwave. Sometimes it's just organic and the sound gets microwaved and then the label comes second. But without that warming up, I and so it's if you're a brand new artist, I think TikTok is a godsend. If you're an established artist, you still need to warm the record up. Mm-hmm. on TikTok before you bring it to radio. And it's more, and I see it more of almost like a, not a rough draft, but sort of a proving ground where I don't think you used to be able to get. Like you'd put a song together and you'd put it, and you put it out there and that's it. 
But I think what you're saying with like with TikTok and other ones, you know, as they develop their following and everything else, they can try stuff that may not work, but then they can keep experimenting with certain things and find something that does work. And then by then you've already built that platform where with one record or one video, it doesn't work out. And then everyone's like, "Eh, I don't care. They just forget about it. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, investing, if you're a label and you want, and you're investing in a music video, you're talking about a one, a million dollar marketing asset, right? Look, if, if, if I was running a record label today, I would test a majority of my records on all of these social platforms, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, is that you also have the ability of marrying the sound with an action. Then you potentially have the holy grail. Right. That's why these dances have worked so well. <laughs> I don't think you need to have a dance, but if you do have a dance, it becomes the medium that my daughter and her friends mimic, and then it just becomes a centipede. All right, so Brian, I got to ask you, yeah. Br- Brian Madler, co-founder of the Network Effect, what's next, okay? You've always been a little, a couple of steps ahead. You know, TikTok, Reels, Snapchat, or now, what's next? What's out there? What can we... Sure. So a lot of our time right now is being spent on uh, developing the creators that we manage. And... What's interesting is a lot of the creators that we manage, for us, it's all about a narrative that they're coming to the table with. And they they don't just create content in their bedrooms or their apartments or even at Walmart, Mm -hmm. right? It's about a a, a vibe and a story. And if, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg is in the elevator and he says, what do you do? You actually have the ability to say who you are and what you do versus just I create TikTok content. Mm -hmm. So... To give you one example, a creator that we manage, her name is Alyssa McKay. And we've worked with her to really develop a character called the rich girl. And this rich girl, which is kind of a mix between Alicia Silverstone from Clueless and Borat, because (laughs) most people don't really know Mm -hmm. if the character's real or if she's acting. And I won't give that away. But if you fast forward a year later, she has billions of views on TikTok wow. for this character. Mm-hmm. And even her YouTube channel, once YouTube launched Shorts, we've grown it from 400,000 views in February of this year. If you fast forward to July of this year, the channel now has 100 million views. Wow. Right? Wow. So for us, it's about building out these characters and also building out intellectual property and not, I can't give away the things that we're working on, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it revolves around that brand and that narrative for Mm -hmm. people like Alyssa McKay and the rich girl and Katie Feeney, who's become one of the most renowned curators of beauty, fashion, and tech amongst uh, Gen Z and early millennials. She's one of the strongest sellers on Amazon live. And we really have built this brand around her business and a business around her brand. So um, there's this new term, which I mentioned earlier, called the creator economy. And a lot of my, a lot of the nuances of what's next and what I'm focused on in the future is around this notion of the creator economy. Brian Mandler, co-founder of The Network Effect, joining me on the Treadcast. Brian, finally, I ask everyone that I talk to, what is your definition of success? Wow. Really deep question. Uh, <laughs> well, let's okay. off that easy, you know. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I don't think it's about monetary gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyone can can get lucky and become rich, right? There is skill involved, obviously. So I, I've never really been focused on that. I think, as I mentioned earlier, for myself personally, it's like, does my family love me and respect me, mm-hmm. right? I yep. think that's you know, I'm very involved with my kids and my wife and everything we do here at home. So I think that's that's incredibly important. And then, you know, legacy is also incredibly important. And what are, you know, what are you known for? And as you look back on your career, were you able to break glass, democratize 
build new things, build new experiences, change the way that people use technology, think, react, engage, shoot, etc. Mm -hmm. A long-winded answer, but I think yeah. I'd roll that up to all the above. Yeah. And also some the, those great golf trophies you have over your head to your, you know, to my left. That's, you know, yes. that's also so, too. <laughs> uh, as I you know, the, the, uh, with, uh, I've won two club championships and they can't unscrew my name. That's so, <laughs> a very, there's your uh, legacy personal, right there. <laughs> personal side of things. That's, uh, that is what I do in my spare time. So. Ryan, how can people learn more about the network effect? Where can we go? Uh, great idea. Great question, really. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually just relaunched our website. Um, so the best way to understand who we are and what we do is the network-effect.com. You know, we, at this point, not to humble brag, but we are, and we have become thought leaders in the short form space. So over the last year, we've contributed to articles everywhere from the New York Times to the LA Times to Hollywood Reporter to Bloomberg to People to Access Hollywood and all the above. So a lot of those articles are on our website as well as our business and some of the creators that we work with and really proud of our creator testimonials. Mm -hmm. Because as I mentioned earlier, not only do we manage, but we do advocate for a lot of creators within the space and we do feel like we've built really solid relationships in the creator community mm -hmm. and uh, the brand and media community. But creators are the forefront of what we do and, you know, working with them is is very important to us. Yeah. And, and I like how you call them creator advocates as well. I mean, it's something you really there's a lot of, of um, cultivating in a way. It's not just like grabbing someone, trying to market it, and just sort of throw it out there. There's there's more to it. There's more depth which I think some people don't think with short form or even with video sometimes that there's no depth to it, but there's more to it than that. Uh, we like to think so. You know, we do spend a lot of time with our creators on the day-to-day -day and the week-to-week -week on what is the content you're creating this week? Mm -hmm. What platforms are you going to be active on? What's new in the space? Where should you be focused on? Here's what everyone else is doing. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here is one. Here's the plan right. that we build. Yeah. So there's a lot wrapped up into it. Brian Mandler, co-founder of The Network Effect. Brian, I really appreciate the time, man. Congratulations on a personal note with all your success. Great to reconnect with you, man, and uh, hopefully we'll touch base down the road. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Treadcast. You can listen to this episode again if you like or past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get yours. To get updates on future episodes, find us on Facebook at The Treadcast.